Welcome to the Self-Publishing Tips and Tricks Show, a series designed to give you insight into the world of self-publishing and marketing your books. Featuring your hosts, Shannon, the author behind the pen name SC Houston, Ben Pick, and Morgan Lee. Join us several times each month when we interview authors about their self-publishing and marketing journeys, talk to industry leaders, and discuss books about writing, self-publishing, and marketing. Also stay tuned for the best self-publishing tip or trick of the week. Hey everyone, I'm Shannon Rodney on the pen name of SC Houston, and today we are speaking with Troy Lambert, who has been on the show before as a representative of Fodder, but we really wanted to bring him back to talk about his work as an author, especially about his newest nonfiction book, The Pocket Guide to SEO for Authors. Before we talk to him, though, let's give some updates on whatever's happening in our author lives. And while this episode is coming out February 15th, we are recording this ahead of time. We are actually in October of 2023, so some of our news might be old. Sure. I don't have the updates this far in advance. I should be preparing to publish my third book, but aside from that, I don't know what I'll be doing. Um, so expect newer updated news on my third book. Yeah. And for me, it's kind of the same. I'll also be working on releasing my third book of my dark fantasy trilogy. I'm as of right now in October, I'm hoping to shoot for March as a release date, but we will see <laughs> what happens. If that does pan out, then maybe we'll have links in the show notes of this video, but that's the only thing I'm working on right now. Definitely. And I know you've got Ben's uh, third book right now that you're getting ready to start editing, right? in like another few weeks, couple weeks. Yeah, like two or three weeks. Two or three weeks, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also right now critiquing, going through the next round of uh, of Morgan's third draft. So that's really cool. Um, So, and also in February, at this time, I should be finishing up my third book in my next series. (laughs) That's my whole fingers crossed um, because I'm hoping to finish up the final draft of my second book here uh, in the next month or so. And then at this time, um, I should have already been done fulfilling my Kickstarter that I'm hoping to have everything out. At the latest, December is a very, there's a small, possibility there might be one item that's going to take until January because Ingram will leave it there. Um, but uh, having some issues there, but getting my Kickstarter fulfilled. So in January, I should have, it will, it's going to be there. A Curse of Scales and Feathers is going to be on retailer platforms for uh, selling and buying for people that would like to buy the book at that time. So, because I, if I have anything left, it's just going to be the special edition hardback, which is not going to be available anywhere anyways. That was just a Kickstarter exclusive. So, but mm-hmm. yeah. So I look forward to that. So we're going to, um, oh, and it's also February, which I am going to be having um, hopefully nearly every day on my YouTube channel. I'm going to be bringing on a, a guest, a fantasy romance author, and we're going to be talking about writing romance tropes. And so I'm looking forward to that happening. Now let's talk about our guest author today, Troy Lambert, who is a freelance writer, author, editor, editor, and the education lead for Plotter, the author of over 30 novels and several works of nonfiction. He lives, works, and plays in the mountains of Idaho with his faithful dog, McLean, who's often enlisted to help write, write blog posts. And I'm curious how he helps you write logos. Well, he, he's a very comforting dog and he actually talks back, believe it or oh, not. Um, much like much like a child, if he wants to, if I want him to do something, he will do it, but he will tell me about his displeasure in doing so. So oh. that's often very, very helpful. <laughs> well, welcome back to the show. Um, I was actually excited when I saw your new book come out. I was like, oh, I want to bring him on because I love SEO for authors. I think this is an important topic um, that is something hard to wrap our minds around, especially those of us who are more, you know, we're in the writing sphere, not so much thinking about, you know, the tech side of stuff as much. Um, so I'm glad that you you agreed to come back on the show again and uh, welcome. Let us know if there's anything that we missed. Well, thanks for having me. Um, the only thing I'll tell you is that by February, when this airs, there will also be a course on SEO oh. for authors available. Um, and you can check that out. You'll be able to check that out through my website. And it'll we'll go much more in depth in actual practical application than the book can, because then I can give you some you know more meaningful tips um, and kind of some in-depth look at some of the tools we talk about using. So. 
Well, and I, I thought your your book was very in depth as it was. I mean, you had quite a bit in there, a lot more than what I was expecting to get with just you know thinking about SEO for authors. It went into more depth than I expected. We'll also have we'll make sure we'll get those links for you, and we'll put those in the show notes in the description box for YouTube as well. Perfect, perfect. And so we'll go ahead and move into our questions. So, what made you want to start writing? And tell us about your journey to self publishing your first book. Oh my goodness! So, um, I, I've always wanted to be a writer uh, when I was from the time I was a kid, and um, you know, as a teenager, I knew I wanted to be a writer, but everybody told me I couldn't. And so I just tell people 30 years of hairnets and name tags and various careers. And um, I decided that other than writing, I was pretty much unemployable. And so I needed to figure this thing out. And so I did. And I started with freelance writing and writing fiction on the side because that was the way to make money and uh, figured that out really quick. So when my first novel came out, it was the time when self-publishing was just stopped. It was no longer a dirty word and it was becoming a mainstream thing. And people understood because of people like Hugh Howey and stuff like that, that you could actually make money doing this. And I said, well, I can do that too. And so um, that was the route that I took with my first book. And actually my first trilogy came out self-published as well before I did transition into some periods where I had publishers and things like that at the same time though. We wanted to talk to you today about your newest nonfiction book, The Pocket Guide to SEO for Authors. Well, you have a pretty substantial backlog before that from varying genres and you know thrillers and nonfiction and also various formats. So we got long form to short reads to anthologies and with different publishers, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this, like Terge R Publishing, CCM Books, and Unbound Media LLC. Can you tell us about your journey through these evolving choices? Uh, so so Tiergar Publishing was a publisher that I worked for. I worked as an editor for them. At first, as just a general editor and acquisitions editor, and then as a managing editor, and then as the senior editor for a while. And so when I had books to publish, of course, they were like, we would love to publish your books. A couple of them. So they ended up publishing a couple of them. But some of them, I still wanted to keep that control of self-publishing. So I still did both at the same time. I, I would just evaluate things based on the project. Like really, and for me, what it has become over the years is a business decision. How much control do I want to have over this? And how does that affect my income from this particular project? And so that's how I make those decisions. And that's how I made those decisions then. I do have a book that came out with another author through Wild Wolf Publishing, which is how I became an associate member of International Thriller Writers, because it's an approved publisher for them. If you have a book published by them, you become a lifetime member of International Thriller Writers. So that was a deliberate decision based on a goal that I had and what I wanted to do with that particular book and how that particular book would make me potentially the most money, but also be the best for my career. Can you tell us a little bit about the pocket guide to SEO for authors and the series it belongs to, The Plot the plot Dude? <laughs> sure. Um, so The Plot Dude, so I'm a huge Big Lebowski fan. I should have worn my sweater today. I forgot about it. Um, but anyway, so I'm a huge Big Lebowski fan. And so people call me sometimes the plot dude. But I so I wrote uh, the pocket guide to plotting, which is basically so there's a couple ways you can get that book. You can get it for free. Just sign up for my writer email list on my website and you get that book for free, okay? the ebook e for free. Or you can buy it on Amazon and all the other different places as well. If you want to buy it, you just don't want to join the email list. But that was my first one because it was just a quick I, people wanted a quick, dirty guide to like, how do I write a book? Right. But I'm, I've always had this thing of I worked in SEO for a while. We'll get to that in a minute. And so I, but I thought, well, while I'm working to build SEO for other companies, why don't I do it for myself at the same time? And so I would deliberately get on websites that had bylines that would link back to my website to build my own website authority. And so I have links to my site from from um, Huffington Post, Forbes, all these other places that I wrote for, for SEO purposes for other companies that I also made sure my links were in there. So I was building stuff to my own site as well. And I thought, man, more authors should think about these different ways that you can 
use SEO to become more visible. And especially now as direct sales is becoming a more prominent way to sell books. Well, your website needs to rank for people to find it, to buy your books from your website. Otherwise, the things you're doing really aren't any use. So for me, SEO was a no brainer. And I, but I was like, there's so much information out there and so much of it is wrong and so much of it is bad that let's just put out some good advice for writers. Yeah, I have noticed that, that some books I've read about SEO and, you know, I want to do direct sales. I'm not doing what I should be doing for that though, for the SEO from my website. <laughs> so I'm still trying to wrap my head around it, which is, you know, I bought your book. <laughs> so yeah. I definitely have I've gone through this. I made some marks and there were some things that you mentioned that I had already, I had just found like that was actually in contradiction to something I read that came out a little while ago. So, you know, not only I feel like that there's some information that's not right, but it looks like it changes too quite a bit. Mm -hmm. That It is constantly changing. And that's one of the things that I talk about, especially in the course, I talk about how things, because the only reason the course hasn't been done sooner is because January, generative AI became a big thing. And now all of a sudden we have this whole other topic to talk about, which in reality really hasn't changed SEO all that much. However, we still have to talk about the ways that it has and the ways that are that people are using it that are really bad, that are just not working for them. Um, and But they don't, a lot of times business owners and authors do not understand why that's bad. But I'm like, mm, it's really going to hurt you. In the long run, you might get some short-term gains, but in the long run, it's really going to hurt your, your website visibility and your business. And it can even get you in some trouble. And if you get in trouble with Google, um, I've had people that I've known, clients that I've known that got delisted from Google. That is a bad thing. That's almost like your website does not exist. Right? Yeah. And you might as well not even have it. So you have to start over from scratch. And that's not good. That's not a good thing to do. Well, and I've been seeing quite a few news articles recently um, about how Google is going to, um, uh, I can't remember the term that's used, but basically if you use AI to write like any of your, your posts, your blog posts and stuff like that, that Google is going to rank it lower. Um, there's a mm-hmm. term that they keep using. I cannot recall at the moment. But, so I do see how that's possibly one way that AI is definitely going to have a huge effect if people are going to rely on using AI to write their, their blog posts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just like back in the old days, keyword stuffing and black hat SEO. Um, yeah. The problem is it can give you short-term gains, but you're writing for two, you're, when you're writing blog posts, it's for two reasons. The first one is the people that read it, like human beings, right? So you want it to be something that sounds good. A lot of AI stuff does not sound good. And it pops in keywords way too often, which is what keyword stuffing is. Well, you're writing also for Google, but you because you want to signal it what your blog posts are about, but you don't want to do that in a negative way because if Google figures that out, what you're trying to do. Um, in the book, I give the example of a guy who ranked number one for Super Bowl for about four hours because he wrote a post that had Super Bowl mentioned over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in it, right? And keyword stuffed it and Google's automatic algorithm picked it up and said, this is the best article on the internet about the Super Bowl. It was not, but it was only for a few hours. And then his site was delisted and removed from Google, like done, gone, over with. Now it was probably a stunt. He probably had a site he created just to do that. And he just wanted to prove he could do it. However, you see immediately what the consequences are. Google sees it. They understand what you're trying to do and you're out. So yeah. yeah definitely something to keep in mind. Though. Especially if we're trying to sell direct, we don't want to be in that camp. Yes. You don't want to no. be in that camp. No. You don't want to be in that camp. So how are your books typically published? Is it traditional indie hybrid? What are you doing like today for your business model? So most 
Most of them today are indie published. And that's really just, again, it's a business decision. It also allows me to, so by early next year, mid next year at the latest, most of my books will be available direct from my website. And that'll be the cheapest place to buy them. And because it just makes sense. It's a model that makes sense. More and more people are going away from Amazon and big retailers and going towards buying direct from authors. So that's a part of, that's definitely a part of that decision. But like I have an anthology that I edited that's coming out um, from Down and Out Books, a small press next June, right? Um, that And the decision to do that was because they're really good at marketing anthologies. They handle a lot of the details of the cover and others formatting and other stuff for us. I don't have to do it. So I just edit it. I get the authors together. I make the anthology. I edit it and I ship it off to them and they take care of the rest of the details. And so for me, that was a business decision. I don't want to spend a lot of, I don't make a lot of money on anthologies. I'm not going to spend a lot of money on, on producing them at, or time. So I'm going to let them do that part because they're really good at selling those better than I am. So, um, but most stuff is indie published at this point. When you go direct next year, what are you using? Do you know? Oh, uh, so I'm using a combination. I'm probably going to use Shopify okay. is going to be the final decision. But my my primary site will still be on WordPress because I don't want to lose my SEO and stuff that I built right. um, yeah. that's taken years to get where <laughs> it is now. Um, but I can create a shell Shopify store underneath that. And that's, that's likely how that's going to work. I'm still exploring exactly how that's going to fit together. But a part of that is that I still have a few books that are in Kindle Unlimited. So I'm pulling those books out of Kindle Unlimited. And so until they're pulled out of Kindle Unlimited, I just keep moving slowly on that. But the first thing that's going to come out is I'm recovering and re-editing my first trilogy. And that'll be the first one that's available direct on my website is that one. Though. Nice. Yeah. I've been exploring all the different options, but I don't have enough of a backlist to um, to really use Shopify at this point because it's a monthly subscription. <laughs> so mm-hmm. until I get there, I'm, I think I'm just going to go with uh, PayHip and then they have a plug-in with, uh, with Book Vault. So for direct uh, POD. So that's what mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking yeah, at. Book, book Vault for POD, definitely. Um, yeah. As far as on the print side of things, PayHip is really good. You can do delivery through PayHip or do it through BookFunnel, either way that you want to go. Um, but all of those are really great methods. Um, I'll just put a plug that uh, I'm also the president of Idaho Writers Guild and our Idaho Writers Conference here in Idaho in April. We're having a couple people that are talking exactly about direct sales and how to do it exactly. Okay. So um, that's part oh. of the craft, the business track of that particular conference. Definitely. We'll get those links from you too and put those in the show notes. Yeah, I'm trying to take notes and record all these uh, all these names so I can come back to them later. But for now, how did you make the decision to go indie versus traditional for your nonfiction books? Did anything or anyone inspire you in particular? Um, Honestly, uh, the biggest thing was it, nobody inspired me in particular, but lots of people inspired me because uh, this is the way the way a lot of indie authors make these decisions is again about control and responsibility. And when it comes to nonfiction, I want control because I want the rights to any course that I create around that particular thing, any audio that I create around it, anything related to it that normally a publisher would also want part of those rights. And I don't, frankly, I don't want to give them to them. So I'm not going to, um, because nonfiction is, goes beyond the book, what I call beyond the book. So typically you're creating a book, but you're also creating an, a group and infrastructure. You're hopefully creating people that are going to talk to each other about your book and they're going to be social with it and they're going to handle that. And so for me, I want that control over all that IP so I can create, you know, plot dude t-shirts or whatever, um, and not have to worry about my publisher going, well, technically we have the apparel rights for North America. No, I'm, I'm just not going to deal with that particular type of thing. So it, it's that's for nonfiction, especially it's about control and responsibility. There's almost no circumstance under which I would put a nonfiction book of mine with a publisher. It, that'd be a really rare circumstance. What one misconception did you have about self-publishing before you published your first book? Oh my goodness. Well, so actually, 
actually, I'm going to preface this by saying it was actually after I published my first book, because here was a problem that I had. And I know you're not going to think this is a problem at first, but it is. My first novel was commercially successful as a self-published novel. That's great, right? Except that then my misconception was, well, everybody's waiting for book two, right? Right? No, they're not. <laughs> they weren't. They were not waiting for book two. They had no idea when I didn't market book two as effectively, they had no idea that book two came out because the only way, and it taught me a quick lesson, first of all, because I had to stop and relaunch and do all kinds of stuff. But it also just taught me the simple fact that if a book isn't marketed, it doesn't sell. So you, it doesn't matter what number book it is. It doesn't and how long ago difference. was that? Um, do we have to say that? No, no, it was, no uh, I, just, I just want to say like that, if that was then, think about it now when there's even more books out. Think about this. This was probably 2011 when my first book came out. It's probably 2012 or 2013 when the second one came out. So, about so early, so self-publishing around 2009-ish stopped being a dirty word and started being a path, a legitimate path of publication for some people. Now, there were still, there were bad things that were happening out there and I'm not going to say there weren't. But, so you could have a self-publishing book that was commercially viable. But the misconception was that once I do that, well, then I've made it. I'm like, you know, I'm like Stephen King. People are just waiting for my next book. Well, no, they're not. And they're not waiting for Stephen King's next book. If he doesn't market his book, his publisher doesn't market his book, that doesn't sell either because nobody knows it came out. So the only way you get people to know that your books came out is to market them. And so it was a quick lesson for me of like, okay, there is no more author in the ivory tower handing down the books to the masses and they just consume them. It doesn't work. And it, it didn't work then. It doesn't work now. It actually hasn't worked for a long time, but it was a misconception that people had because of big name authors who it seemed like they could do that, but that wasn't really what's happening at the scene. So. And I bet you had all that pressure too. Like if you did really well with your first book, I mean, did you feel that when you had your second book? It's like, okay, oh, yeah. hope that, you know, yeah, I'm going, this. well, I hope this one hits, you know, yeah. I hope this one does as well. And uh, there was just like, there, there was a lot of pressure and a lot of like anxiety, like, oh, I don't know if this is going to work. Um, and I'll tell you, unfortunately, that that anxiety doesn't really go away. Like um, you can be 30 books in and you're like, oh man, this is the one that's going to bomb. This one's going to be crap. Um, and it might be, it might be, you know what I mean? <laughs> so you just never know. Every time is a gamble. And so we just keep doing this over and over and over again. Yeah. So. All right. Well, we're going to shift from those introduction questions around self-publishing and then move to more specific questions about your new book, SEO for Authors. So what inspired you to write this book and what was your goal? So my primary goal was to just give authors a foundation for SEO. So most authors, I would say most authors, even if you're going to sell direct, you need these basic principles of SEO, but you don't need to go nuts about it. Like there are some basic things you can do that are good for you, good for your books, good for your visibility. But the, the good thing is that you also don't have a lot of competition out there. Most writers, they make a website, they put it up and they do almost nothing with it after that, right? They just, it just sits there. It's not doing anything for them, but, and they go, well, my website doesn't do anything for me. And I'm like, what have you done for your website? And they go, well, nothing. I wrote a couple blogs. Nobody reads them. A couple blogs. Okay. Um, you can go look at my site and see how many blog posts are on the site. So a lot of them not written by me. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of them written by other people because that's the way it works. Like you need regular content. You need to be telling Google over and over. This is what this is about. Okay. So for me, I just wanted to give authors a foundation of, Hey, you have to do something because the two things you own in the author world that you know, we can take away from you is your website and your email list. You don't own social media. You don't own Amazon. You don't own Barnes and Noble. You don't own any of those things. That's the thing that you own the most. So you should give it the care and these things it deserves so that it actually works for you. Even if you're not selling directly, because 
becomes a conduit to send people to other places by you, for sure. How did you get started in SEO as a field? Um, so when I was an early, when I was a young freelance writer, the way I would do things is people would say, hey, I'll give you money to write something. And I would say, yes, what is it? And now I've kind of reversed those two things. I say, what is it? And then I evaluate it. And then I say yes or no. But early on, you just will do anything. Um, and so I started by just writing SEO articles for other people. And so people came to me and they said, can you write SEO articles for my blog? And I said, yes, I can. And then I went and learned how to do that because I didn't know what I was doing. But I was like, well, this can't be that. So I went and learned about it. Well, what that means is so in 2009, SEO was way different than it is now. Very, very different. But there were still, there were good guys and bad guys in SEO. And I wanted to learn to be one of the good guys and do things correctly. Well, so there was a, anyway, I, so long story short, I started an SEO. Google came up with an update called Panda. If you've ever talked to anybody in SEO, you say Panda. If you've been in SEO long time, you say Panda and their eyes get wide because overnight websites that were ranking number one, number two, number three for keywords were off the first page and like way, way down in Google rankings. And the reason is they were using these cheating kind of gray hat, black hat techniques to get that high ranking. And Google said, nope, we're not going to do it anymore. And they slapped this update on overnight and website owners lost it. And they were like, okay, now we need to turn to the good guys. Well, fortunately, by that time, I actually went to work for an SEO agency. And so I was really learning the good guy ways. And we benefited because we were not, we literally refused. People would say, well, get me to number one on Amazon. And I'm like, it's going to take 90 days at least. And they would say, well, my buddy did this with this company and he got there overnight. And I would say, yeah, he probably did, but we're not going to do that. And so all of our clients were okay with Panda. Panda happened and they went, huh, that's interesting. And all these other people went just down the tubes. So that's really how I got started in SEO. But then from there, like I went on to work with some big companies. We worked with Pearson. I set up the um, blog format of the ASU online school, Rutgers University, uh, Pepperdine, a bunch of other ones. We set up a system for how to structure their content and help it rank better on Google and things like that. And so it was really a super good time. So I still do SEO, but not as much for companies and more for like small businesses and individuals, not those big companies like I did before. So that's how I got started is I was just trying to experiment around, do some freelance stuff. Somebody told me, hey, can you do SEO? I'm like, absolutely, I can. Then I went and learned how to do it and then work for agencies. It was, And so it's been a lot of fun. But yeah. That's amazing. That's a whole fake it till you make it kind of. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Can you briefly explain what SEO is and why it's crucial for authors to understand? Oh, sure. So SEO stands for search engine optimization. So when we think of that, we often think of our websites and Google. But honestly, you're doing the same thing when you're putting in keywords and categories for Amazon because Amazon is not an online bookstore. Amazon is a search engine and people don't come on there and browse the aisles. They come on there and search for things. When's the last time you went on Amazon and did not search for something in the search bar when you were looking for something? Well, that's a search engine. That's what it is, right? And so by putting in keywords and categories, you're indicating to Amazon what your book is about. And they look at SEO, the things in your book blurb and in your title and in your subtitle. And we think that they even look at the content of your book, even though they won't admit that. But anyway, um, we think that they're doing that, right? Well, Google does the same thing with your website. Your website has specific structure and specific techniques that says Google to Google, this is what this website is about. 
about. You are the one that sends signals to Google and tells it what your website's about through using keywords, through using blog strategies, through the titles of your blog posts, through um, background stuff like technical metadata and things like that. You're telling Google, this is what this article is about. This is what this website is about. This is, you should pay attention to this website because what I have to say about these things is important. You're also establishing your expertise as a writer. Uh, the more expertise you have, um, I wrote about libraries and education a lot and then became known as an expert on libraries and education. So I wrote for Public Libraries Online and the American Libraries Association because I established myself with expertise in those areas. So people would see my byline, they'd see, oh, he's an author, he's an expert about books, and it would drive them directly to my website. So it works, it's all about also the subject matter. Um, I use the example in the book of a lawyer who that we worked for because this lawyer had put up this website and he said, man, I'm ranking great. And I'm like, what for? And he's like, barbecue recipes. He liked to barbecue and he put barbecue recipes up on his site. And he was like, man, my site is like, I'm getting lots of traffic. And I'm like, how many people that look up your barbecue recipes hire you as an accident attorney? Because the only accident they had was they spilled barbecue sauce on their shirt. It, they, they weren't hiring you because they had a car accident because the two things aren't related. But he had high rankings. He had lots of web traffic. You betcha he did. People like to barbecue. They like to cook. He had great recipes, but it didn't relate to what he actually did. So you as an author need to establish expertise as what you do and what you write about. Otherwise, what's the point? You can put recipes on your site and recipe sites rank really well and they're really easy to do SEO for. It's not going to sell books, but it's a, unless you write recipe books, but it's a great, you know, it's a great method for getting traffic to your website. But you have to decide, is that traffic relevant and is it going to convert to book buyers? And that's the important thing. I think that's the issue I've had with trying to do a blog because I started a blog way back when and I did one blog post and then I've taken it down because my one blog post was about book covers and how to uh, design, how you could design your own book covers and how you can find cover designers. And I thought, this is my website for selling books. And I already made that mistake. Not that it's a mistake now, but I realized later that when I set up my YouTube channel, I'm not really reaching readers. I'm reaching other writers. And I thought, mm -hmm. I don't want to do this on my website. And I was like, well, what the heck do I have on my website? And by the time I kind of figured it out, now I'm just too busy to go back and yeah. write blog posts that could actually draw readers in. Well, yeah. And um, so Jay Thorne actually talks about this a lot. And the reason is because he's done a lot of email marketing and um, website marketing as well. And so he has like a mini course even that says, here are a whole bunch of blog ideas because he's like me, like I can come up with 4 million blog ideas for almost anybody's website and go, okay, here's a list of things you could do based on your genre and what you write about that you could relate to readers. You know, you write Scottish romance and Scottish historical romance. My God, you have an entire Scottish history to draw from that you can use to relate to your books and draw people who are interested in that already and then go, oh, you write books about that. Awesome. And it transitions them really easily. Um, you know, I'll write about true crime and serial killers and forensics and stuff like that because guess what? People that are interested in true crime and forensics and stuff like that are also interested in crime novels. And so it makes a nice, easy transition. Now, it's not always a perfect system and your conversions are not always going to be high because some people come to your blog post and they just read that blog post if that's what they wanted to read about and then they move on with their lives, right? So it's not always going to work that way, but a lot of times it will. They keep coming back to your content and they're like, oh, you write books about that. That is awesome. And they follow you to your books. Oh yeah, I've, I've thought about it because I've done tons and tons of research on dragons because all the different dragons and mythologies and stuff. And I think, oh, oh. this would make great blog posts. I don't have time to write them because I go right from my mm -hmm. research to writing my book. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It is another task to do and how frequently you write blog posts and publish them yes. does have an impact on how your website ranks in Google. It's, the more often like your website is updated, the better. Um, why is CNN? So there's a thing called domain authority and most writers are about 12 in domain authority. It's a scale of one to 100. I'm in the 30s, 40s, usually somewhere 
in there, which is pretty high for an author. Um, but CNN is $98.99. Why? How often does CNN update their website? Oh, about 67 times a day, at least, right? Whenever there's any kind of a breaking news story, they're always updating. So they're almost 100 because Google visits their site multiple times a day to scan for what news Google wants to show in a search engine result. So that's, yeah, it's I, a definite impact. Sorry. Yeah. When I when I heard about that, that you need to be consistent and it's just like, you know, publishing on YouTube and trying to grow your audience on YouTube, you need to be more consistent if you mm-hmm. want to get that growth. And when I heard, you know, I read about that, you know, I was trying to figure out how to do the SEO and, and how I can do better with my website. And I was like, do this all, you know, I have to be consistent. I'm like, I don't know if I can be consistent at this point. I'm too busy with everything else. So I was like, mm-hmm. uh, that's why I said, I'm not that good with the SEO with my website yet, because I don't know what I can do to increase my visibility mm-hmm. without being more consistent and doing blog posts and things like that. Um, right. But I, I'm hoping to get there. Yeah. It's the same thing with social media. Consistency is really what it's all about. Now you can, I mean, you can hire assistants, you can let other people write posts on your, there's things that you can do to help keep that consistency while not doing all of the work yourself. But about it's still, it, there's still work involved in accepting people's guest posts because you have to read them. You have to edit them. You have to put them, you still put them up on, there's still work that's involved in the process. So it's still not a work free. It's just a little less work. But yeah. Well, a uh, part of SEO is a learning about keywords and how to find them. You give some great tips on different tools authors can use, some of which come with price. However, searching manually for keywords is free. But as you said in the book, this, this method taught us that PDF, I had never seen this before until I read it in your book, but that PDF is the most popular religion in the world. So can you explain this method of searching for keywords? Um, sure. So part of that is the, the joke of that. If you search convert to PDF will come up, you know, like the fourth after Christianity and Catholicism or something like that. Anyway, um, it's pretty funny to, to see that. But anyway, um, so the manual method of keyword search is just typing in what you think people might be searching for related to your book. So you can do the same thing on Amazon. Um, you just, you search for different keywords and say, hey, now it's helpful if you have a list to start with, like you have an idea of what people might be searching for. And what helps is if you're a reader in your genre, you can figure out what you would search for. What would you search for if you were on Google looking for your book and search for those keywords manually? And what you'll see when you start typing that into Google is that Google will finish the sentence for you, like convert to PDF. So it'll say you start search for thriller or mystery or whatever, and it'll fill in the blank after that. And you, it'll usually give you a list of like, is this one of the things you're searching for? And so you can go, well, I never thought of that one. And you can add that to your list of keywords. Now this is, it's a slow process, um, can be. It can also be a rabbit hole that you can go down because you can go, well now, okay, now I'm going to search that thing. And now I'm going to search that thing. Now I'm going to search that thing and see what results are coming up. But it, it can also help you understand like when you hit enter on that search, what comes up? Like who else is trying to rank for this? And why are they trying to rank for this? You know, convert to PDF, you're going to see tools, just tons of tools come up, right? Because that's what people are searching for is some way to do this. Usually they're searching for a way to do it for free without, you know, without paying for it, right? But for books, you're going to see certain authors come up on the top of that list. You're going to see certain publishers come up on the top of that list. You're going to see a lot of Amazon and Barnes and Noble and bookstores come up on the top of that list, right? And so you have to decide, okay, of the people on this list, who can I actually compete with? Who can I actually outrank? I'm probably not going to outrank Amazon, just to guess, you know, wild guess, and I'm probably not going to outrank them. But Joe Schmo author, who doesn't really have a very good website, I can probably outrank him and take that number one spot on Google in that particular search. Or in Amazon, I can take the number one spot for that particular search if I change my keywords, if I change my blurb to include those keywords, if I change my subtitle to include my genre, things like that. So the manual method is just basically typing things in, letting Google or Amazon or whatever finish the sentence, and then writing all those keywords down, put them in a spreadsheet or something, don't write them down, but put them in an Excel spreadsheet or whatever you want to do, but make your 
yourself a list somewhere of those different keywords. And then you can start to play around with those and see what rankings actually look like. What is your best practice for authors when it comes to thinking about SEO? The best practice is start simple. And one of the simplest ways, so one of the, the cornerstones of SEO is link building, which means building links from other websites back to your site, right? And that's one of the cornerstones of SEO that's been around forever. And people keep saying, oh, every year somebody will come up with a blog post in January or February that says link building is dead. And then by the end of the year, the same person is like, yeah, link building is dead, but you should still build links because of these. Re okay. Google tells us that those links to your website from other sites matter. They've told us over and over and over and over and over again, and it never has changed. Regardless, generative AI, all that kind of stuff doesn't make any difference, right? Those links matter. So one of the easiest way to do that is to guest post on other people's writer website, write a blog post, or put it on their website. It links back to yours, that type of thing. Do the same thing for them. Let them guest post on your website. You get an article on your website that's on your blog. They get a link back to their blog and you can all link together. But also writing on higher profile sites, medium, different sites like that, and linking back to your website. LinkedIn, publish an article on LinkedIn, a blog article on LinkedIn at the bottom of it and do a summary of the article on the bottom of it. Say, read more. And the read more links where? To your website. And it doesn't matter. It matters to a certain extent how many people click on that read more link. But what matters more is now you have a link to your website from LinkedIn, which has high domain authority because people update it all day, every day. So Google looks at it all the time. So you're kind of getting the idea here of like, so I would start simple with simple things like guest posting, writing your own blogs, and then just looking at the keywords that are on your site and say, are these things that my readers would search for? If the answer is no, fix it. And whether that means that you pay somebody to fix it or that you fix it yourself, either way, make sure that that works. Also, just make sure simple things like your site is mobile responsive, that if somebody looks at it on their phone, it doesn't look like crap, right? And make sure it's mobile responsive, make sure it's fast. Google puts a lot of stock in speed. Um, if it takes more than four seconds to load any page on your website, you're gonna your rankings in Google are gonna be absolutely terrible. That's just the way that it works. What is something related to SEO that authors may concentrate on too much or maybe shouldn't worry about? Social media. <laughs> Did I answer that too fast? Social media. Okay. Um, the, the thing is that people think, for whatever reason, that SEO that SEO and social media are super closely related and that if you can get links from Facebook and Twitter and get people to come to your website or not at Twitter X now or whatever and Blue Sky or whatever it is the next th big thing is and get them to come to your website that your life is just going to be glorious. And the truth is, first of all, the answer is it's not going to be glorious. Second of all, the answer is they're not going to come to your website that way unless you are a unicorn. And it used to be that back in the day, you could become a unicorn on social media and get a lot of traffic from social media. And it really wasn't terribly hard. Now it is exceptionally difficult. It is like getting struck by lightning. I know people that have done well on BookTok, absolutely, you can do a certain amount of well on BookTok, but eventually that is going to dry up and that's going to be a temporary traffic thing to your website. You're much better off focusing on solid SEO and consistency on your website than on social media and people spend way too much time and effort on social media. Social media is for being social. So the, the best thing that you can do on social media is start conversations that your readers continue without you. You don't need to be there for, right? That's the very best thing you can do on social media. So thinking that that is something that's going to lead and boost the SEO of your website is just, it's a myth. It's always been a myth. And it's, especially now, it's really, really poor practice. And a lot of authors will do it. They focus on social media instead.
instead of their website, you're better off focusing on, let's just say, building a YouTube channel that leads back to your website or those type of things because you're creating a community. You're creating a place where people can come and talk about your work. And that's that's really way more important than anything else that social media has to offer. YouTube is also great because it is also a search uh, mm-hmm. engine as well. So it's a great place. You can kind of count it like a sort of a social media. I kind of see it as a social media because it is a place where mm-hmm. you can connect with your, your audience and grow an audience. And then it has all the same things that you would need for like your blog post. You want to keep consistent and stuff. So I think mm-hmm. social media is a, is a good alternative um, if you've got to pick any of those social medias. But then it also takes a lot of time. Yes. Well, and all of them take a lot of time. So it depends on what your goals are and what you're doing with them. If you're driving traffic to your website and it's working off of YouTube, fantastic. But you still have to be consistent. On YouTube, you have to use the right keywords because otherwise no one's going to find you because YouTube is a search engine. Not it is. So all social media platforms to an extent are a search engine. The difference with Facebook and X and all that kind of thing is they have an algorithm that chooses what you see if you're not searching. So we don't usually we don't go on social media to search for something. We go on social media and we go, what's happening today? Oh my goodness. Aunt Claire posted, oh, you know, whatever. And we're just doom scrolling and we see things that interest us because Facebook knows our interests, you know, all those different kind of things. Um, same thing, you get, Am- you get emails from Amazon. When you've searched for something on Amazon, you get an email that has a list of those things and says, hey, maybe this is what you were looking for because they want you to buy something, right? So social media is all about keeping your attention so that you see more ads is essentially what it's about. In that respect, like using keywords on social media is not nearly as important as it is now on YouTube. It's different because it's a search engine. But on TikTok, it's not because people aren't necessarily, they may be going in and looking at book talk, but you don't know what kind of books they're looking for. So you can use additional hashtags to add on to that, right? And you might get some traction there, but the majority of people are going on TikTok and they're just, you know, scrolling through and seeing what people are doing. They're not going through and searching for something deliberately that they want to buy. That's not their intent when they go there to buy something. When they go to YouTube, usually it's to learn something. A lot of the time it's educational or it's either educational or entertainment. Entertainment, you know? yeah. I can see that. And that's that's it. That's what that's what YouTube is really all about. So it makes it easier than social media in some ways. Yeah. Uh, so if an author doesn't have a website, though, what can they do to increase traffic to their published works? So really, the best thing other than a website, if you absolutely just don't want to have a website, which I don't recommend, but if you don't want to have one, you don't want to have one at all, um, an email list is your next best thing because you control it and you own it. You can move it from provider to provider. You can, to a certain extent, control who is on your list, how, how you manage them, how you send things out to you. Now, obviously, the ideal thing is to have a website and an email list, and your email list drives people to your website. That's that's a good combination, right? Um, because engaged users on your email, making sure people are engaged and stuff like that. But you can use an email list to send people other places. The other option you have is really paid advertising. Everything's paid to play nowadays. So if you want to get more traffic to your books, you can run ads on BookBub, run ads on Amazon, run Facebook ads. Um, you can even run Google ads, but that's a whole different topic because that's it's really hard for authors to do well with Google ads because of publishers buying up the, the clicks at extremely high rates, which you cannot afford as an author. Um, but anyway, so but that's a whole other topic. But paid advertising is another way to drive traffic to your work. It can spark word of mouth. Now, ideally, like I was talking to an author the other day, she doesn't want to be on social media anymore, but she has built this author community on Facebook in this group. And she's like, what do I do? There's reader community and on Facebook, she's like, what do I do? And I'm like, you don't have to be present all the time to start a conversation. You've got enough people in that group. They're going to talk to each other. They're already talking to each other. So you don't have to be present all the time, but you are going to have to appear from time to time where they're going to notice that you're gone. So there, there are certain prices that you have to pay with that. But yeah, um, that's another thing that you can do is social, establish communities on social media, but it is more challenging 
now than it used to be to do that. If you can only pass on one thing to aspiring self-published authors, what's your best tip or trick from your book any author could do right now to improve our discoverability? Oh man, I would just say that the number one thing is keyword research. If you don't have a website already, find a name that relates to what you do. Like it's great for it to be your name, okay? Because you want to rank for your name. Um, and that's the very first keyword you want to rank for. Now, if your name happens to be Stephen King, you <laughs> there may be some, you might want to adopt a pen name. There may be some obstacles to ranking for your name, right? But one of the first things you want to do is rank your name. So just keep continually putting your name out there. But also think about how and why people are searching for your website and explore keywords and just put them in the very basic places of your homepage. Even if you're not going to have a blog, you're not going to write a blog, put them in your homepage, put them places where people are going to see them. So the, And Google's going to see them as well. So that's the quickest way to start improving your ranking. But there's really like the one tip is just explore keywords and start writing content of some sort. So now we're going to transition from SEO to your own personal writing life as a, as a published author. So you've been writing and publishing for a long time. What have you learned about being an author that would have been nice to know when you started? You know, I mean, there's probably the number one thing is that you must embrace the business side of publishing as well as the writing side. If you want to do this to make a living, what, what the one thing that I would say that I have learned, especially over the last few years, I used to be really enthusiastic about everybody should become published. Everybody should try to do this for a living. This is this is just a bomb and everybody should try to do it. Um, and over the last few years, the more I've talked to other writers and things like that, the more I've determined that there are some people who should not try to do this for a living. It sucks, to be honest. The business side of it is tough and it sucks. And some people, should, they're not prepared for that. The, the business side of it is another challenge that you're adding on top of it. And if you don't like that and you hate every aspect of it, sometimes it's okay to have writing that's just your hobby or your side gig or whatever that you do for fun. And if your spouse asks you about it because they go, have you made any money with that writing thing? If they golf, just go, have you made any money from that golfing thing yet? Or are you still doing that every Saturday morning? Because they, I guarantee you they're paying for lessons, they're buying equipment, they're buying balls, they're going and hanging out with their friends that do that, right? So you should be able to go to conferences, you should be able to buy computers and equipment, and you should be able to learn from your peers without any judgment from your significant other, even if writing is just your hobby. So that's one thing that I've learned is that it's okay. Whatever your path to writing success by your definition is actually perfectly okay. I like that. Yeah. Because there's definitely, you know, some people, their goal is, I just want to publish this book. That's all I want to do. I just want to have it published. I don't care if it sells. I just want to put it out there. So it's available if anyone ever wants it. Um, and that might be good for someone that that's all they want to do, where if someone wants mm -hmm. to make money, but they're not willing to put in the effort to learn how to market their book and things like that, then maybe that's not the right, the right path. Or they pay someone to do all that for them. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, and I'll follow that up by saying the most important thing in your author career, the most important thing is your why. Mm -hmm. Because your why is what gets you through the days that are bad. Because, and I don't say if you have bad days, when you have bad days, when you have rough times in your writing career, your your why is what gets you through. And your why cannot be money. If it is, you will be a miserable, miserable writer. And I feel sorry for your family because you will be unpleasant to be around probably. <laughs> um, you, you, your why, your drive, the reason that you write is the most important thing that you will determine for yourself as an author. And you have to determine it for yourself. I can give you some ideas, but that may or may not fit with you and what you what you feel and what's important to you. Yeah, I, I feel that. And and that I have actually done that in those days. Like, why am I doing this? Why? Actually, why? Why am I doing this? <laughs> so to sit back and think, okay. And, and, you know, and there's times when, you know, it's, especially when you're first starting out, you're not making a lot of money. And you're like, I mean, what am I doing? Is this worth everything? I thought, well, I'd still be writing even 
even if I was publishing, I'd still write because I mm. love to write. That is my yep. passion. So yeah, I think that's definitely important. So, well, what does your typical writing life look like? Do you, do you plan to write for like a set period of time every day? Or do you have like weekly, monthly, yearly word count goals or other goals that you go by? So that the, the goals aspect of it varies. But usually I plan a couple of hours to write every day and I protect that time pretty severely. And same thing with the, like, I get up in the morning, I go to the gym. Sometimes I write a little bit, then I go to the gym. That gym time is non-negotiable because I need to in, engage in self-care. And then I need to come home and I need to write some more. And then I can answer emails. Then I can do other tasks that I need to do, whatever that may look like. But that writing time is the number one thing. You need really realistically for most people, you need to set an appointment that is your writing time every day and keep it. And the more consistent you are with that, the better. So mine typically is mornings are my best time to write. And part of that was when I had little kids at home and I was writing my first novel, I discovered that 4.30 to 7.30 in the morning was the best time to write because my kids wouldn't get up at 4.30 to do things they wanted to do, let alone to interrupt my writing time. And so, you know, so, but yeah, so my, that's what my writing day looks like. Then I take my dog for a walk, all those different kind of things, you know. Are you working on, or do you have plans to continue the Plot Dude series? Yes. So the next nonfiction book in that will be actually um, about how to write a mystery using the sleuth's journey. And the sleuth's journey is a um, plot formula that I came up with, which follows the hero's journey only for detectives. And basically it'll be a walkthrough of from start to finish how to write a novel using that method. But it will be in a, a model that it's a model that's adaptable. So I'm going to show you how I do it, but I'm also going to give you ways that like, if you don't like this, here's an alternative. Here's another way that you could potentially do this. And there'll be a course that goes with that as well when that's finished. I think I remember you talking about that when we did the plotter interview, when, when I was asking about different types of mm-hmm. um, plotting methods that could be found on plotter. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a template on plotter. So you can follow the template there, um, but this will be a much more in-depth follow through than the template itself and, and actually give you like, this is exactly what you're doing at this stage. And this is why you're doing it. Here's the things you should know when you start writing a mystery. And here's why you should know those things when you start writing a mystery. And if you don't know those things, here's some alternatives to figure them out as you go and then come back and fix things in revision, that type of thing. Because there's different methods. Everybody has a different method. There's different methods. So um, of using no matter what template it is. So I just want to highlight those methods and say, hey, it doesn't matter which technique you use as long as you use a technique. So So can you tell us what you're working on next and maybe a little bit about when it might come out? So I'm actually working fiction wise. The next thing I'm working on is titled Compelled. It is the next in my Max Boucher series. And that one will be out in April of 2024. That is the current plan for that particular book. I also have a couple anthologies coming out. I have one that came out this month in October when we're recording this, but it will obviously still be available in February. Um, It's written with another author named Kristen Lamb, and it's called What the Hell Did I Just Read? And it's uh, when you read those stories, there's 13 of them. And every time you finish, you will say, what the hell did I just read? (laughs) um, Yeah, I read about that on your website, actually. I thought that sounded very interesting. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And those stories, we we actually don't tell you until the end of the book who wrote which story, because if you don't know either of us and our writing style really well, you won't be able to tell. Uh, Well, you've answered all of our questions. But before we wrap up, please tell our listeners where they can find you and purchase your books. Um, So the easiest way to find me is go to my website, www.troylambertwrites.com. But I also tell people you can Google me. And if you Google my name and I don't come up right away, your internet service is down. uh, Get that fixed. Once your internet is back up and you Google me, my face will show up all over the place and you can follow me on all the socials and all the different places. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and giving us your insight and experience as a writer and then also sharing your knowledge on SEO for authors. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And and I'm very happy. Like I said, at the beginning, I'm happy that you agreed to come back again because we just had you not too long ago. 
go on the show. So. Yeah, you betcha. Anytime. Well, next week, we'll have another tip or trick of the week, followed by an author interview with contemporary romance author Emma Bennett on February 15th. And that will wrap up this episode. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much to our incredible listeners and viewers for joining us on our exploration of everything self-publishing. We hope you found our podcast to be a treasure trove of insights and inspiration. If you've enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast platform or thanks on our YouTube episodes. Don't forget, you can catch all of our past episodes on YouTube, Spotify, and other major podcast platforms. And if you'd like to connect with us, drop us a line at selfpublishingtipstricks at gmail.com. Keep writing, keep publishing, and we'll see you next time.